0: Well, When Father James invited me to preach this homily, he reminded me that we have our second graders here preparing for their first penance and first communion coming up in these months ahead. And I thought to myself, well, surely we'll have a nice gospel for them, a welcoming gospel, an inclusive gospel. But friends, as you just heard, this is, quite frankly, a brutal gospel. And I am reminded of the great scripture scholar, Walter Brueggemann, who said, we are not required to agree with the scriptures until we have struggled with the scriptures. So kids, families, that is the first lesson for us this morning. We have to do our part to understand and interpret the scriptures each and every time we hear them. And we're reminded, as Catholic Christians, we have a wonderful principle of trying to understand the unclear parts of the Bible in light of the clear parts. The greater interpret the lesser, according to our interpretation. And so let us remember that time and time again in the Bible, the writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit tried to communicate the connection between earth and heaven using a single indelible image. And that is the image of a meal. Long before Jesus, the Hebrew writers show quite simply God makes his love known to us so clearly, so richly, that we can taste and see his love. There is a mysticism, as it were, of meals. Nearly every major Old Testament promise was offered, accepted, and often rejected over a meal. Forgiveness happened over a meal. Esau rips off his brother's inheritance over a meal. Joseph's jealous brothers are reconciled to him over a meal. The people of Israel exiled because of their forgetfulness in Egypt eat a meal of bitter food. God delivers the same forgetful people from Egypt over a meal. Israel struggling and lost in the wilderness God feeds them with a meal. And if we go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, as Father Robert Barron reminds us, all of our spiritual problems can be traced to that very first meal in the Bible that went horribly wrong. Our spiritual ancestors who imprinted our spiritual DNA upon us, Adam and Eve, thought they knew better what the realities and the boundaries were and they would decide, not God, and so what did they do? They literally seized the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And we also remember from the same scriptures that there is a rhythm to the meal mythologies and mystiques because there is always another meal after a meal gone bad. God invites us to return to a second, a third, a fourth meal, a good meal that reverses the damage. Of that first meal which is our first reading this morning from the book of Isaiah the meal that Isaiah envisions is a redo a recap of that Genesis meal because God never gives up on us and his mercy is infinite And he looks down on his perpetually self-absorbed people and he invites us again, as he always does, back to his table, his infinitely good meal, a rich feast of aged wines and savory foods. Here I think of my Aunt Lorraine's roast pork when that happened. But in the fullness of time, fast forward, we now have God's only Son, who is the fulfiller even of Isaiah. And what did Jesus do in his earthly ministry? Did he teach? Yes. Did he preach? Yes. But where and when did he do that? At table, over and over again sitting down with his disciples, with the outcast, with the lame, with the blind, with the insiders, with the outsiders, with the rich, the poor, with the cool, the uncool, Jesus invited everyone to a meal with him. Which brings us to now. And here is the question. Do you believe that Jesus is inviting you to this meal today? That we will really, truly eat and drink here at this table with the risen Lord of the universe. Because we need to be reminded of this, every week the priest begins our meal ceremony here with the words, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because we forget that we are not here in our own name, in our perpetually self-centered stories, but in the story of Jesus, the great host, who says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And at the climax of this meal, Jesus really, truly Body, blood, soul, and divinity does join us, fulfilling the Isaiah prophecy. That's all the good news. But the bad news is the brutal parts that remain in this gospel. So let's try and break this down. Who is the king? That would be God the Father, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son for us here today. And he wants to give that beloved Son a banquet. And he invites us, with the whole train of salvation history, to that banquet that is not bound by merely human notions of time and space. And here's the hard part. The guests, they don't come. And that's what Matthew really wants us to focus on like a laser beam in this gospel. They refused to come, he says. They ignored the servants sent by the king. And my friends, that to me, they refuse to come, that is the saddest line in the Bible. Because God invites everyone into that personal relationship and we, like those before us, if we are honest, more often than not, we say no. And so here, again, is the bottom line. Do we believe this invitation today? That despite all of our refusals, God still invites us to this meal here and now It is a question that has a binary answer, yes or no. The question is, how is God calling you? That depends on how you are calibrated to hear. Perhaps it's this reading, perhaps it's Father's homily last week, perhaps it's a YouTube video or a song that amazed you. Perhaps it's that person who lives on your cul-de-sac a beautiful but compelling life. Perhaps it's an invitation to make your Christ Renews Retreat here in the next couple of weeks. Perhaps it was that incredible sunset at the beach or the lake this summer. Only you can know the unique for you nature of your invitation, but you can be certain that you are absolutely being called to this meal. In the words of Thomas Merton, by any and all means, without exception, we are met, molded, and assailed by God. And yet how often we say no. As Matthew wants us to see, he insists that we see. Some went to their farms. Some went to their businesses. There's nothing wrong with farms. There's nothing wrong with businesses. We all need them. But much easier to go to the second tier important things in our life. To select lesser gods and lesser meals. Kids select sports teams, Bengals, Panthers, all consuming careers and our precious, precious calendars. Why are we so busy? and so unhappy. Matthew challenges our indifference and our lack of prioritization and above all the consequences this has on our soul because he wants us to see a spiritually unprioritized life. It can and does mean quite simply the death of your soul. That's what this parable is saying. What a tragedy to run away from the most beautiful, important invitation you will ever receive because you're too busy. Why wouldn't you do your part? As that old Simon and Garfunkel song has it, people are talking without speaking, people are hearing without listening. Here's the point. God comes to us first. But what about this last bit in the Gospel? This strange, again, bizarre piece about the guy not dressed properly. Friend, how is it you came in here and were not dressed in your wedding garment? Scholars remind us that with the invitation in the ancient Near East came the very garment you were supposed to wear to the meal. How hard would it have been for him to put it on? So here, friends, is a takeaway for you to consider. Don't refuse the invitation. Grace always comes first, yes, but we must cooperate with that grace when and how it comes to us. And here is a second takeaway It's possible to say yes, but not to change your life. It's possible to hear without listening, to say we want to get in, but then we have to change to properly prepare to receive this meal. That's the inner logic of the wedding garment. It is the sign within the sign. It is that Matthew calls us to transform our life for this meal. Or as Saint Paul has it, to literally put on Christ, which means to take off the tired old clothes of our perpetually self-centered lives and put on the new garment of love, the new garment of reconciliation the new garment of mercy, the new garment of forgiveness. And so the bottom line here, my friends, conversion of heart. And parents of the second graders, catechists, teachers, all of us, let us remember in this seemingly brutal gospel that is a moment of grace. We are capable Of converting our lives. And so let us all reflect on this gospel with these questions. Have we said yes to God's invitation? And secondly, if we've received the invitation and are inclined to come, have we really changed our lives? Have we really embraced the call to continuous and exacting conversion? in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.